2 Timothy chapter 3. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Jannes and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth, men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they'll not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all, the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God, and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. What's going on in the world? I mean, this is the sort of stuff that I see. In the news this week, there was a report from the University of Queensland that was telling us a very sad tale that abortions are not as easy to come by as what they should be. It seems that the killing of unborn children is not as convenient as what it could be, and we really should do something about that, they're saying. This week, I also heard that come November, Lyle Shelton from the Australian Christian Lobby will appear in court because he's being sued for saying that it wasn't a good idea to have drag queens reading to kids in story time in public libraries. What else do I see? In many locations, if a man decides that he's a woman, it's a legal requirement that everyone else has to go along with his lie. And he's quite within his rights to frequent the ladies' change rooms and toilets. And if anyone dares to, to give a biological definition of what a woman is, woe to them. They'll be cancelled. That's a new thing. Um, they'll be written off. People will abuse them online for daring to say that a man is a man and not a woman. And I see this, the world is increasingly frowning upon Christians. We can, it's very obvious in the media. Uh, if a Muslim lives in a certain way and, and does a certain thing to stand up for what they believe, well, good on them. But if a Christian does it, 
they'll be labelled as intolerant, being legalistic and hateful. And I see some children are becoming more and more uncontrollable. I was talking to a shopkeeper, shopkeeper in Dirrambandi uh, a couple of weeks ago and there's one kid there who will just blatantly steal stuff in front of him and then say to him to his face, you can't do anything about it. You can't do anything to me. And he's right. This kid, I forget whether he said it was 30-odd or 80-odd, it was some ridiculous number of offences and still no consequences. And in some towns, um, youth, um, youth justice is out of control, youth crime. And in some indigenous communities, uh, it's just awful where wives and children are beaten and abused in all sorts of ways. It's not a rarity, it's normal. When we look at the way the world is, it's wrong, it's evil, it's crazy, and it's all upside down. What is evil gets called good, what is good gets called evil, what is obscene has become normal, and God's law and his righteous laws are despised, um, while a new a new morality of tolerance and love of self, it becomes the new virtue. We are living in what the Bible refers to as the last days, and so we should expect this. Uh, but as, there's been other periods in history like this too. So in our men's Bible study the other night, um, we were reading the story of Noah and the flood of Noah, and, and things were getting so bad there, and, and men had become so wicked that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil, continually. And the earth was filled with violence and the Lord regretted that it even made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. And so God came in judgment. And you know the story, only Noah and his family were saved. It was also like this in the time of David. In Psalm 53, we read, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt, doing abominable iniquity. There is none who does good. God looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all fallen away. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. Right? So we're not, we're not on our own in this period of history. But this is the way that it will be in the last days. Now, what do you think about when, when you think about the last days? Um, we usually think of the, the last days as being the period of history immediately before the return of Jesus. And, and in a way, it is. But biblically, really, the last days began when Jesus ascended to heaven and sent his Holy Spirit. Um, from the birth of the church and the beginning of the Christian message being taken out into the world, this was the beginning of what the Bible refers to as the last days. Now, Paul sort of understates it a bit when he said to Timothy, but understand this, all right? This is something that you really need to know, Timothy. Understand this, that in the last days, there will come days of times of difficulty. That's a bit of an understatement. Um, he's explaining to Timothy why as Christians they're being persecuted. And he's also building on what we talked about last week about why even in the church, some are not rightly handling the word of truth. And so they believe all sorts of crazy stuff and they teach all sorts of crazy stuff that isn't God's biblical truth. Um, and now he's saying to him, this is, you know why this is happening? It's because we're living in the last days. And we are too. 
And as we read this, it's like, my, oh my, this is like a big soup pot full of, of horrible stuff. Verse 2 says, For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable. That, that's, unappeasable means that not willing to be reconciled, right? They're not never willing to forgive anyone and you can never make them happy. Slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Now, when you look at that list there, you realise that all of these horrible, horrible traits are bracketed by wrong love. When you love the wrong thing, this is what you become, right? So right at the start of the list, there was lovers of self and lovers of money. And right at the end of the list, it's lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And this forms the bracket of all of this horrible, horrible stuff. When a person's love is for themselves, and when they love money, and when they love pleasure, all of these horrible things come into play. They become proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit. All because they love the wrong thing. They love themselves. They love money, they love pleasure, rather than loving God and loving good. And if I love the wrong thing, even my religion will be defiled. Paul describes it in this way, he says, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Right? When you love self, when you love pleasure, when you love money, your religion, it might have an appearance of being godly, but it's robbed of its true godliness because it's robbed of its power. Now, charlatans, false miracle workers and all sorts of false teachers, they will talk a lot about power and they'll labour on about the power of healing. You know why? It's because it appeals to my love of self. I want to be well. And they'll go on about the power to overcome my poverty and to bless my finances. Oh, that appeals to my love of money. And they'll go on about the power to overcome my circumstances and to free me from my troubles. Oh, that appeals to my love of pleasure. Do you know what the Apostle Paul talked about when he talked about godly power? He talked about the power of the resurrection. Romans chapter 1 verse 4. He talked about the power of God for salvation. Romans chapter 1, verse 16. He talked about the power of making God known and, and God judging the wicked. Romans chapter 9. He talked about the power to save an unbeliever. Romans chapter 11, verse 23. He talked about the power to, of having this Holy Spirit hope through faith. Romans chapter 15, verse 13. And of course, the very pinnacle of godly power is found at the cross. So much so that, that Paul wouldn't even ever use clever words to try and explain it. He says, I, I don't use clever words to explain the power of the cross. Because it has its own power. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, it says, For the word of the cross is folly 
to those who are perishing. That means it's foolishness. It's, it's crazy. Like, why would you Christians believe about the power of the cross? It's folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Religion that has an appearance of godliness but denies its power is that which appeals to a love of self, a love of pleasure and a love of money because it diverts us from where the true power lies. Where's the power? The death and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Repentance of sin, believing in Him and the transformational work of the Holy Spirit as He lives inside of us and changes us and renews us and sanctifies us. And so true power is about turning to truth when we once believed a lie. It's about holiness where there once was depravity. It's about forgiveness where there once was sin. It's about love where there once was hatred. And it's about having a selfless love for God and a love for others. That is the real power of God. That's the sort of godliness that takes power to change a person to become godly. Now, sadly, something that that is way too common in the church today is the power of the cross is getting twisted by Satan into something perverted. Love of self, love of pleasure and love of money is being grotesquely catered for by religion that, that is pretending to be godly and it's pretending to be of power but it's nothing of the sort. And I'm going to be really blunt and and say, if the teaching that you listen to appeals to your love of self, if the teaching that you listen appeals to a love of money, and if your teaching that you listen to appeals to a love of pleasure, you are not listening to the Word of God. It might have an appearance of godliness, but it is nothing of the sort. And you can assess that for yourself. Um, we hear all manner of teaching. You, you can listen to it on the, on the wireless. You can listen to it on the television. You can listen to it in different churches. You can download it from the internet. Assess it for yourself. When you're listening to a teaching, ask yourself the question, is this appealing to a person's love of self? If so, it's not of God. Is this teaching appealing to a person's love of money? If so, it's not of God. Is this teaching appealing to a person's love of pleasure? If so, it's not of God. And so Paul speaks of how people will be having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. And then he says, avoid such people. We're not good at that as Christians. Over the last few weeks, as we've been working through Timothy, a few times Paul's used the word avoid. And it means to shun, have nothing to do with it. And there's there's one group that he has particular concern for. He says, avoid such people, for among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions. Now, he's not saying that all women are weak. We know there are some very strong, godly, very spiritual uh, women. But just like there are weak-willed men, 
there are also weak-willed women. And Paul has a particular concern for them. Why? Because they are preyed upon by creepy false teachers who are willing to tell them just what their passions want to hear. And, and this is often what we'll see. Often it'll be first and predominantly the women who gather around this sort of preacher that we're talking about. And he says that of these women. They're, they're always learning and they're never able to arrive at knowledge of the truth. In, in my experience, in the church community, some of the keenest learners are women, but some of them are not very discerning in where they learn from. And some of them are always looking for the latest new thing. They're wanting to read the latest book. They're wanting to hear the latest speaker. They wanna be the forefront of, of whatever is getting presented as, as something that's new and cutting edge. And often they're, they're not wanting to, they're wanting to not miss out on the latest spiritual blessing. And, and they're always wanting to learn more and more. But in their quest for learning, they never arrive at the simple, straightforward, godly truth. Their quiet quest might begin with a love of God and they want to know more. But the material that they read and, and what they've been getting taught has been taking them further and further and further away from the simple, straight down the line, biblical truth. And they're being led into teachings that appeal to a wrong love. And so I wanna to say to everyone today, and, and particularly to the women, be careful, be really, really careful. It, it is great to have a desire to learn and to be always learning. And my prayer is that, that the men in our church as well would love to, to learn and learn and learn as the women would. But be discerning. Because a lot of what gets presented as godly teaching, it might have an air of godliness about it. But it's teaching that primarily appeals to wrong love, to love of self, be the real you, be the best you you can be. It appeals to a love of money. God wants to bless you. He doesn't want you living and doing it tough. It appeals to a love of pleasure. God's going to fix all your problems. Now, in verse 8, he tells us that the people who teach this sort of stuff are just like Jannies and Jumbries who opposed Moses. Now, who are these two blokes? I don't see their names anywhere else in the Bible. Um, but if you read other Jewish literature, that's the names of Pharaoh's sorcerers who did the magic tricks to try and mimic what Moses did um, to try and convince Pharaoh that, so God gave Moses these miracles to perform to prove to Pharaoh that he was speaking God's word. And Pharaoh calls in his sorcerers. We know the, now their names are Jennies and Jumbries, and they opposed Moses. And so when Moses threw down his snake, threw down his staff, it turned into a snake. Magicians go, we can do that. Throws down their staffs and they become snakes. I love God. I love his sense of humour. You know what the very next thing that happened was? Moses' snake went around and gobbled up the other ones. I just love the way God does things like that. Moses turned the water into blood. The sorcerers did the same. Moses made the frogs to come up onto dry land. The sorcerers did the same. But there was a limit to what they could do. 
When Moses made the gnats, that's those nasty, bitey, insecty things, um, infest all of Egypt, the sorcerers couldn't do that. And they couldn't do anything else. But Paul's point is, they opposed Moses. Their false miracles were imitating God's miracles. And they were the basis of Pharaoh not following God's word of truth. And, and just like them, false teachers have an appearance of godliness. And Jesus even told us that there would be false prophets who would do false miracles to lead even God's people astray if that were possible. So they have the appearance of godliness, but they oppose the truth. They're men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the truth. Right? Those who oppose the truth and and in the context of what we've been studying in, in, in 2 Timothy, is this, he's still talking about those who wrongly handle the word of truth, who twist God's word to make it say what, what it's not meant to say. He says they are corrupted in mind and that disqualifies them regarding the faith. Now we've got to take this word of God seriously. It's, it's really hard thinking about, okay, how do I relate with other churches when some of them are teaching some really crazy stuff? And sometimes we think, okay, we've got to do our best to work with the wider fellowship. But when the message that's being preached is one which is appealing to a wrong love, when it's not handling the word of God correctly and it's twisting God's word to make a completely different message which is not godly, what do we do with that? Paul says here, they are corrupted in mind and that disqualifies them regarding the faith. I've heard some people say, oh, just listen to whatever teacher you want. Keep the meat, spit out the bones. No, never. It disqualifies them regarding the faith. But then he says, but they're not going to get very far. For their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. Right? The sorcerers ran out of puff. They, there was things that God could do that they couldn't do. And today, if people are willing to look for the truth, false teachers will eventually be found out. If we simply love God's word of truth and stick to God's word of truth, it's easy to recognise crazy lies for what they are. Which is why Paul could say to Timothy, you, however, right? You're not going to get led astray, Timothy. Why not? Because he's, he's been taught the word from Tommy's a little fella. His mum and his grandma were Christians. And he's had the example of Paul. He's had the teaching of Paul. He's seen the way that Paul lived. He's been on mission with Paul. And he's seen the suffering of Paul. There were places where they run out of town. There was places where Paul was arrested. And he'd seen that because he'd been on the missionary trips. In verse 12, he says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. It's what we've been hearing over the last, couple, last few weeks. Suffering is a normal part of the Christian life. 
How does that fit with a love of self? If Christian suffering is a part of normal Christian life, how does that fit with a love of self, love of money, and love of pleasure? It just doesn't. It doesn't. And if your theology cannot handle that, then there's something wrong with your theology. You're not thinking like Christ. And if you're not hearing this as you read the scripture, if you're not hearing this in what you're being taught, then you're not correctly handling the word of truth. Because scripture teaches this plain and simple, that Christians will suffer. It's a normal part of the Christian life. And yet many people are being taught today, come to Jesus and and your life's going to be so wonderful. Uh, Things are going to go well for you. Your suffering will disappear. All of your pains are going to cease. All of your tribulations will be no more. You will become a person of influence. You'll become successful. You're going to get that job that you've always wanted. You're going to have that. Your family's all of a sudden going to become happy and you're going to be prosperous. What a load of rot. It's never been that way. Jeremiah complained to God in Jeremiah chapter 12. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Right? He wanted to believe that, you know, godly people would be the ones who prosper, but he looked around him and the wicked were prospering. Why do the treacherous thrive? It's always been that way. We suffer now, but we have glory when Christ returns. Disciples of Jesus will suffer while those who are evil and and those who even have an appearance of godliness will get worse and worse and their deceit will increase and increase. And he's talking about the church community. But Timothy, you stick with the truth. Continue on with what you've learned and what you firmly believe in. In many cases and in many ways, the gospel that's commonly being preached today is nothing at all like the gospel of old. And sadly, many have fallen for it. And it's easy to fall for. How how do we be discerning? How do we know What teaching to reject and what teaching to relish? Well, Paul tells Timothy that the sacred writings are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And then he goes on to say, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete equipped for every good work. Now, for Paul and Timothy, when they talk about Scripture, that was the Old Testament, right? There was no New Testament. The funny thing is, we read this and, and we sort of think of it as the whole Bible, but he's writing the Bible when he writes this letter, right? This became our, our New Testament. But there's already what he calls sacred writings, Now, we don't know for sure what they are, but they're probably early copies of the gospel and and other letters that we already have and that we now have in our Bibles. 
But for us, our whole Bible is what we consider sacred writings. And our whole Bible is, is what we consider scripture. It's God breathed. And Paul told Timothy that the sacred writings make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. That's what our Bibles do for us. As we read the scriptures today, it makes us wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And this is the power of God. This is the power of God to be wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God. That's why we call it God's word. And because it's God's word, it's profitable. That means it's useful. Can we agree on this, that the word of God's useful? Pretty useful, if God's gonna say something. Oh, good, four of you do. Excellent, we can work with four. It's useful for teaching. But as we learned last week, Scripture's only useful for teaching if we correctly handle it. If we start wandering off, we can end way off course. So it's useful for teaching. Scripture's also useful for reproof and correction. And so if we start hearing several different versions of the gospel, you're hearing one message from one preacher and another message from another preacher and another message from a book you've read and another message from what you've heard on the wireless or, or from the internet. How are you going to know what to believe? That's why you've got a Bible. Read your Bible and just go with a simple, straightforward word of truth in God's Word and have your eyes open and be discerning when a person takes a scripture and quotes from that and gives you a whole new teaching that you think that doesn't sound right go and have a look and see what that that scripture is actually referring to and you'll probably find that it's not referring at all to what how it was used scripture trains us for righteousness so let me ask you a question Do you really want to be trained for righteousness? I mean, some of us actually think, well, ignorance is actually a bit of an excuse, right? No. That's an example of loving the wrong thing. If I love self, if I love money, if I love pleasure, then I'd probably rather not know how God wants me to live righteously. Because he doesn't want me living for self. He doesn't want me living for money. And he doesn't want me living for pleasure. But if we love God, and if we do love what is good, then of course we're going to want to know what's right. Scripture trains us, you see. Scripture trains us to know what is right in every situation that we find ourselves in so that we can grow and be equipped for every good work. 
And we're going to want to do that. Why? Because we love God and we love what is good. You see, being wise for salvation isn't only about getting saved. It's about being the saved. It's about living as the saved. And scripture trains us and equips us to be the children of God that he saved us to be. How much we value that will depend on what we love. If we love self, money and pleasure, well, being godly is going to be pretty low down on your list of priorities. And sadly, some will twist it to say that those sorts of loves is godliness. It's not. But if we truly love God and love what is good, we're not only going to want to read God's word, we're going to want to study it, we're going to want to know it because we love him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you love us so much, that you gave your son to live and die, that we might experience the power of the cross. Lord, your power is demonstrated in our salvation. And what a blessing this power is. Lord, forgive us for times when we have had a wrong love. Forgive us for loving ourselves. Forgive us for loving money and forgive us for loving pleasure instead of loving you and loving good. That's the way of the world. And that wrong love is finding its way into the church. Lord, may it not be so. Lord, fill us with a love for you that we would love you so much that we would love your God-breathed scriptures so that we could be trained in righteousness to be complete, equipped for every good work in Jesus' name. Amen.